podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN. Good to have you with us, gang. We're going to get straight down to business because there is a ton to talk about. Who better but Iron Mike to put us in the picture. Mike, man, good to have you back. But listen, we've got good news and bad news to start with. So which way do you want to go? <laughs> you better start with the bad news. Mm. Beyond not having me on video. I mean, that's got to be bad. <laughs> that's the devastating news that I still can't come to terms with. So I'm not even thinking about that. Uh, we'll start with, with Dak Prescott news, of course, which is on, on so many levels really upsetting. He's gone for the season, surely. Ankle uh, injury, needing surgery is the latest as we're recording this. We'll look at the implications, Mike, for, for Dallas's season in a moment. But does this injury mean that Dak's future as a cowboy is seriously in doubt? That's a really good question. Um, and, you know, it's, it's awfully ironic, is it, that, isn't it, that they've been trying to get a deal done or not trying to get a deal done mm-hmm. uh, for his future. And he has been leading the Cowboys in a kind of Russell Wilson way, boomer bust behind Dak because nothing else seems to be working particularly well for them. Um, and then now he goes down and Andy Dalton came in and played very well. Um, mm. within that offense and has weapons. Now, obviously, Dalton's not your long-term solution to any problem. And Dak offers things, lots of things that Andy really doesn't. Um, but he is the kind of guy who, if Jerry Jones was saying, well, in the end, I don't want to pay a huge amount of money for a hobbled Dak, who's, you know, and, and I think looking at that, he may not be ready by the start of next season. Mm. Um, it's a lot. That's going to be a long rehab, you know? So what does um, that mean for his contract? So just to recap, obviously he's, he's franchise tagged at the moment and, and right. suggested there was long protracted contract negotiations that, that the deal didn't get done. So this clearly gives leverage to, to Jerry Jones, right? So, Somewhat. The, the problem is of course, franchise. See, given the situation now, it's going to be a real question to franchise him next year. Mm. And when, and you know, and we saw it with Kirk, just think back to Kirk Cousins. You don't want to keep franchising quarterback because then you're paying him probably more than you would if you gave him that long-term deal. Right. And Jerry may be hesitating about the guaranteed money or whatever. So the one thing I think that might work against Dak is if Andy Dalton plays well the rest of the season, they could look at Dalton as a, as a, um, Mark Fitz, a Ryan Fitzpatrick kind mm-hmm. of guy. In other words, we can draft a quarterback – and then, or, you know, there aren't going to be, I don't think, any game breakers on the free agent market that, you know, would be better than Dak at less at a cheaper cost. And, and then have him get us through one more year while we bring a lo- another guy along. Um, on the other hand, you know, what you've got is, is pretty good. Um, certainly on the, you know, if not in top 10, on the right on the edge of top 10. And, you can probably get him back at a bit of a at a bit of a bargain after the injury. Mm. In other words, you might you might be able to persuade his agent that to lessen the guarantees and and kind of put a prove it kind of clause in there for a year or so. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be fascinating. And of course, the key is something that none of us know is is what what Jerry Jones is thinking about this mm. because if he were really committed to Dak, he would have thought he would have sewn him up. Before last, before this season. Now on that, Mike, was was the was the challenge the level that Dak was playing before this season? In that the money, and this is always the way, of course, when you're the most recent contract to be done. Uh, the, you, sometimes players are elevated beyond their ranking because they're the the most recent deal to be done. But you look at Mahomes and Watson, and, and Prescott, in most people's eyes, was below those two. Yet Certainly. his agents were looking for that kind of level deal. Then you fast forward to the first four weeks of, of this season when Prescott was leading the NFL in pass completions in attempts and passing yards. Had he elevated his performance until he got injured this season into that elite crew? It's an interesting question because um, the Cowboys were one and three coming into this game and probably should have been zero oh and four. Mm. Um, you know, they, they had that great comeback and, and, um, and Dak certainly, you know, is a big part of that and engineering that same thing against the Vikings. I thought they caught a couple of really good breaks um, 
all around, not just in officiating, but, um, you know, to come back and, and win that game. And you can argue about whether the Vikings should have kicked a field goal and made it, you know, get the two point conversion just to tie. Mm. Um, but that that's academic. So the jury's always going to be out on him. I think you could argue that given performance, Dak is Dak is at a level with Russ, with uh, Deshaun Watson, given you know the body of performance, and and this is this is a good indicator of why it's hard to take a quarterback out of a team context. Mm. We talk about quarterback wins and quarterback this, but you know if, if Deshaun were in Dallas's situation and Dak were in Houston, would both you know I think might maybe both teams might have been better. Um, stra- <laughs> right. Strangely enough, right. um, given the coaching, given the coaching and all that w- that was in place, so. Um, he's certainly not a Mahomes. He's always, you know, part of the perception will always be, will always be um, uh, influenced by the fact that he was not a first round pick. Um, you know, that, and I remember going back to shows that we were doing together and I was saying how much I liked Tack, And I, you know, I thought, I think he was the third best quarterback in the draft. And if I remember right, he went fourth of the, in the, in the draft and he's already better than, you know. Um, so I just think this is, it's a fascinating story um, because as I said, we don't know what Jerry Jones is thinking. Uh, we don't know what Stephen Jones is thinking. Maybe, and maybe he's the one who. Uh, maybe Stephen Jones has an eight-year-old son who makes these decisions. I don't know, um, but um, you know, in in the real world, you would have thought they would have sewed up, sewn up Dak, or moved on. And by giving him the franchise tag, you almost get the feeling that they wanted to wait and see. Yeah, uh, like buying a Christmas present, you know, and and t- and, and knowing receipt. you can send it back. <laughs> You know, it, it, it's a very strange thing. Um, and I don't know how you could make an offense more quarterback friendly than Dallas has tried to do. Right, I mean, injuries right. have gotten in the way, but you've got receivers, you've got a good running, good running back. You had a great offensive line and, you know, it's not as great as great anymore. Um, and you've got a defense that's, you know, it's got more holes in it than a trendy teenager's jeans. You know? <laughs> <laughs> on, on the uh, Dalton, you mentioned his backups go, he's as good as they get. Right? Yeah, what a good pickup that was. Yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> so does that keep him very much in the running for the East then? Because we know, we've, we've talked about it, Mike, on the show, that it's, it's demonstrably the weakest in, in football this season. So an eight and eight, nine and seven record could, could well take it. So yeah, that, oh, that, absolutely. Are I mean, they the still Eagles, the favorites in the division then with Dalton? They, yeah, they were favorites to begin with. I think they're still favorites with Dalton. The Eagles are kind of in and out. Um, and they've been really hurt by injuries. Um, Wentz is still somewhat inconsistent. Uh, they've got problem, problems up front. But, you know, I'm looking at the Dallas thing, and, you know, the Giants had eight penalties for 80 yards, and Dallas had three for 25. Um, so Dallas survived losing time of possession, losing turnovers. Um, I guess they were a little better on third down. They had more first downs, more yardage. But, you know, that, that was the kind of game where – one break the other way makes makes a huge difference. Right. Um, the fumble, Daniel Jones's fumble, was the real thing in, in the game. They're not that good. Uh, the defense is awful. You can run through that defense, and if the Giants had had Saquon Barkley, I don't, you know, I I think given the way they were playing, that was a, that would be a different game. Um, but they have to be favorites in the East, you know. Um, the Rams have already beaten all four teams in the in the NFC East, so we mm. should just declare Get them the champions <laughs> of the NFC East, and and you know make the other guys just chase a wild card. I was getting worried early on uh, in the game yesterday. I messaged you at one point and said, "How did I not see the Jason Garrett revenge tour coming?" Because the way they I, yeah, and it's it's funny when you said that, you know, because I'd been looking pre in the pregame where they and they showed the shot of of uh, Garrett, you know, in being embraced or embracing Jerry Jones, who didn't particularly look happy <laughs> to be doing no, that you know no. maybe maybe he was worried about the six foot distancing or something but um you know but that yeah, like, if you watched any of almost the- pulled it off it would have been a great thing if he had and then that would have been our headline you know rather than Dak right. Dak being injured which is a horrible thing to see and it's yeah. a horrible injury and a lot of people this morning were coming down hard on Tony Romo on Twitter um which is not like coming down hard on Tony Romo on the field um but <laughs> Because Romo was saying maybe he thought that it was a uh, pulled calf muscle because Dak was rubbing his calf. 
But of course, that was what he was seeing. And it wasn't until they got the head on shot from the sideline camera that we saw the, the way his foot was bent. Right. Um, and then, you know, as soon as, as soon as that came into sight, everybody knew that it was a, a really serious injury. But um, the, to me, the strange thing was Dak was showing no apparent pain. Um, he must have a very high pain tolerance because, uh, you know, he, he was rubbing that calf. Uh, he knew something was badly wrong, obviously. But, um, it, you know, he, he didn't seem to be suffering that much. And, you know, it, it's, it's always horrible to see a bad injury like that. Well, it is. But that segues nicely into a more positive story, because speaking of, of bad injuries, Alex Smith, of course, suffered one of the, the worst we've seen uh, in, in years. 17 surgeries he required, Mike. I didn't realize it was to that extent. Uh, and at one point, and if you watch the, the ESPN documentary, you'll know that sepsis and there was fear that he might lose his leg at, at one point early on in the whole process. And then here he is yesterday, suited up and back under center, taking, taking snaps for Washington. And of course, his offensive line duly stepped up to the occasion and allowed him to be sacked six times, <laughs> which is really spirited of them. But what a story. What, a, what an incredible story that is. And Mike, talk us through what next for Alex Smith, based on what you saw last night. That's a, that's a good question because we didn't really see very much, did we? Um, Alex Smith, back when – it, it was I – mem- I remember saying that I thought he was a pretty good fit for Jay Gruden's offense, right, which had a lot of short passes, a lot of quick release passes, and, and that's what, what he was good at. But he was also a very mobile quarterback. You know, he had played in, in, uh, for Urban Meyer and in an offense that required the quarterback to run a lot of options and things, and, and uh, that was his other strength. It didn't seem to work out that way before he was injured um, in Washington. And now with Ron Rivera there, I don't know if he's a fit for that offense as well. I was kind of surprised that they um, demoted Dwayne Haskins and didn't have him active. Although, you know, they were saying that Haskins was sick, um, had, had a stomach bug or Are something. you buying that? Do you think it's more uh, No, that? not really. I, I, I think they just wanted to, you know, have a veteran ready. Um, uh, and, and Alan, you know, Alan is what he is. Um, as we saw last last year in in, in uh, Carolina, and the problem is he doesn't have much arm arm strength, and and neither does Alex. Um, ne- neither has Alex really, and um, uh, we didn't see anything to suggest that that had changed. And but I think that the main thing wasn't injury, as much as simply the layoff and getting back to the speed of the game, and that's going to take him a couple of weeks if he becomes the starter. Um, you know, he, it's not, it's not like he's been around the game for all of that time he's been out. It's, it's two years where most of the time was spent rehabbing, um, mm. you know, and, and he's got to catch up with, with a new system, a new coach, uh, and with the game itself. Uh, but you know, one step at a time, and I'm sure he's not, um, he's not going to be daunted by, by what happened out there. You know, if, if he gets sacked fewer than six times, he's probably in better position. It's I don't progress. Think in a yeah. position to run as much. Right. And, you know, and of course, having, yes. having done a Super Bowl with Alex Smith, mm. therefore we're best buds. <laughs> you know, he's one of the nicest guys I've ever worked with. Uh, present company accepted. Oh, thanks, buddy. And, oh, um, you know, just, just really straightforward, really honest about his own performances and, you know, and his, and his place in the game. And I think probably a more talented quarterback than people realize Um, You know, if he had gone into a better situation. And again, it's I I keep saying it's hard to take quarterbacks out of the context that they're in. Right. Well, even if you flip that back to Dak and, you know, how he he landed in the right place and and, an injury to to Romo dealt him a a kind hand and and he took that opportunity. It's a it's a great point. And Smith's career has always fascinated me because if you're the number one overall pick, look at what he's achieved. And, you know, last night, the latest chapter in that he's had a. 10 plus years at the top. He's been, as you say, a consummate pro, instrumental in, in Mahomes' development. You know, Mahomes cites him as, as a major, major reason why he's reached the levels that, that, that he has. And yet in many respects, he's yeah, kind of that kind of player in many people's eyes and an, an abject failure. And it's, it's all, all about perspective, right? I look at what he's that's, achieved and it's a, it's a hugely successful individual, but yet he's got this. That's this, really true. You know, and, and I think he played better in San Francisco than, 
you know, than um, than the way he ha- he he left town suggests. Mm. Um, they just they wanted to go in a, in a different direction. With I think the big thing was down was downfield arm. But yeah, uh, perception when you're the number one pick overall, the perception is you're supposed to be a superstar, right? Um, when you know with quarterbacks, superstardom comes and goes year by year, and there's very few who manage to stay in that position um on a regular basis and a lot of that involves winning um i think tom brady in a different context over the years would be you know if he had come into a starting job which again like you were saying you know brady got to his starting part uh, by injury to Mm. drew bledsoe uh had he been on another team that you know was less able to take advantage of him and his best his biggest skill i keep saying to people i mean he's he's a great quarterback um all around but his greatest skill was his adaptability Mm. um you didn't there was no brady style of game like there was a peyton manning style of play brady was able to adapt to whatever game plan Bill Belichick came up with. And those things changed week by week, not season by season, like most Mm. teams do. Um, And, and that was his big, that was his biggest strength, but he had, if he had played his whole career in Tampa, he wouldn't have played his whole career in Tampa. He would have been in Tampa and then he would have been cut or traded and he would have been (laughs) picked up somewhere else, you know? Um, And he might not have gotten into a starting job with any team, uh, given that he was a fifth round draft pick. So, you know, it it really is a fragile kind of um, balance that we have when we evaluate quarterbacks. Onto the game uh, specifically, the the Washington-LA game, business as usual for the Rams after their kind of spluttering, uh, scrappy performance against the Giants last week. McVeigh dialing up some some really creative plays once again. The way you used Gerald Everett, I thought, was, was particularly interesting. You, you know, in lots of different ways, mismatch central. And it felt like LA had got their, have got their mojo back offensively. One stat that really stood out that I'd like you to elaborate on, 169 yards after the catch the Rams had yesterday against Washington. So what does that tell you about the, this offense, that the, the 2.0 McVay offense that, that he's building? Yeah, uh, and that's what the, the offense is designed to do, you know, similar in a way to what San Francisco does. Um, it, the big thing they want is, is those yards after the catch, saying since the Super Bowl game in particular, that they needed to involve their tight ends more. Mm. Um, Obviously, they, you know, this was specific against Washington because Washington's big strength is up front. And and I thought it was fascinating in this game that they only sacked Goff once, but um, the Rams got eight sacks, you know, so all those first round picks up up front there for Washington didn't really deliver what they're supposed to do. Um, Would you take, would you deal Aaron Donald for all those first round picks? No, Donald has been a beast the last couple of weeks. Hasn't he? I'm I'm not sure if if you know if if it was something in the media that that sparked him up or something that I, I remember one of the mouth clowns was saying that Darnold wasn't that good. He was all reputation and all right. you know, and no performance. But I, he's become relatively unblockable. <laughs> um, certainly by one guy, it's it's a real um, problem. And again, if you go back to that Super Bowl, one of the keys of the New England's win in the Super Bowl was that they were able to man block Darnold. Joe Tooney basically man blocked him. And, and there was a great moment toward the end of the game where Donald was, um, where Donald was saying, um, you know, that's on me. I, you know, I, I was only, they're not double teaming me. I should have got that to that, you know, and. Mm. Um, it, oh, and he's mic'd up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it, it was great, but um, I, I thought, you know, doing this without, they got Cam Akers back, which made a difference to them. Um certainly having someone who can run with a little bit more explosiveness than Malcolm Brown or, or even Henderson and Henderson had a, had a fairly good game. Um, He's done well standing in, hasn't he? I mean, they've got, they've got depth there, but acres. Yeah. Tell me what you thought about acres because he's you know, a highly touted rookie. We'll talk more about. Yeah. He, he's just got, that, he's got a moment. bit more explosiveness than, than Henderson does. Mm. Um, Henderson's kind of easily stopped on runs. Um, and when you watch highlights, you'll see Henderson get one or two big gains, which is great. Um, and he's okay as a receiver as well. And he had a touchdown running and a touchdown receiving. But um, but I think Akers gives that kind of slash thing, sort of like a Kareem Hunt, more of a Kareem Hunt type yeah. um, than those guys. And more of a Gurley, what they, what they used to get from Todd Gurley. The, the, the interesting thing was they came three yards away 
from quadrupling Washington's offense, which I don't think I've ever seen before. Not that I've looked at that stat. <laughs> I've just happened to be doing it. <laughs> it's you your know, favorite stat, isn't it? Yeah. But they had 429 yards of offense, and Washington had only 108. Wow. So, yeah. you know, 432, and they've quadrupled Washington's offense. It's hard to lose a game if you, if you can do that. Mm. Um, but, I, you know, they played on the East Coast in Buffalo, and they, they had a bad start, and then they came back from 28-3 down and nearly won that game, but for Josh Allen and, and for that contested interference. The flag, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and if they had won that game, they'd be undefeated, and that would have been, you know, people would be talking about that as in the same way as the Patriots 28-3 comeback, you know, it would have been, it would have been the great comeback um, of the season. So, yeah, I, I just think all around the Rams do seem to have a bit of that mojo back. It's great to see Robert Woods catch long passes because that's kind of what they need. You know, they're, they're, they are missing a deep threat that they had with Brandon cooks who had a really good game for Houston this yeah, week. His first one of the, of the season. About time, um, yeah. But you know, Woods Cup and a third receiver who's a deep threat is is a lot different than Woods Cup and a third receiver who's a similar kind of um, intermediate guy like Reynolds is, for example. Now, you mentioned the 28-3 comeback. Let's move on to Atlanta, Mike, because, of course, the Falcons are the wrong end of that. And uh, I guess that was the beginning of the end, really, wasn't it, for for Dan Quinn and, and Thomas Dimitrov, the GM, both who've, who've it, gone, because they never could, never managed to rebound from that, and, and no it, surprise they couldn't. It's really strange that a team can, you know, come back from a Super Bowl, being in the Super Bowl, and we know Super Bowl losing teams often have less successful seasons the next year, but to, you know, to but to go on that kind of a run mm. um, consistently and to and to burn so many leads is really strange. And this, to me, was the hardest game to pick of the week. Um, I kept vacillating between Carolina and Atlanta because I do like a lot of the things that Carolina is doing. And and Mike Davis, week by week, sort of right. steps more into that Christian McCaffrey um you know, that is fascinating, threat. isn't it? The way that he is just step- – I mean, obviously not at precisely the same level, but but not far off. I mean, it- Yeah, and nobody would have thought that. You know, Mike Davis was kind of looked at as a as – a, not a power runner, but a kind of inside runner, hard runner, and teams let him go because they didn't think he had that kind of all-round. But he had a – I think it was 150 yards of total, total offense last week. Um, and when I saw Todd Gurley running – certainly his best game of the season. Um, not quite running like Todd Gurley of old, but... Not far you know, off. But not that far off. Yeah, I thought, okay, this is, this is the, why I, in the end I picked Atlanta straight up. Um, but also yeah. Julio as well. I guess you, did you pick him thinking Julio was going to suit up? Yeah, and that was part of it too. And that's a huge loss for them. But I thought, okay, they're going to get some of that back now. You know, some of that offensive uh, prowess. But, you know, it it just seemed like every time they had a chance to get back in that game, and, and Carolina had a halftime lead, um, something would go wrong. And Matt Ryan was not making plays, uh, which I think is something you can kind of say um, – season long or maybe even longer that Matt Ryan somehow has took that, took that loss personally. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think but, you're you right. Know, but, but that the weaknesses that were revealed say in, in Atlanta's game and the loss of Shanahan as an offensive coordinator, mm. I think are the two things that go along with this Atlanta um, demise. And, and the third one would be the failure of, of Dan Quinn to consistently play defense the way they did that year, which was not great, but it was good enough with a high-powered offense right. to survive. Um, and yes, they had injuries. Yeah, they've been uh, unlucky with injury. And again, yeah, this Deion is- Jones was hurt. Keanu Neal yeah. was hurt in uh, the year after the Super Bowl. So that so that that hurt them. But but basically, he keeps trying to build a Seattle-style defense without the without the same ingredients that make Seattle's. Um, so so effective, which which is partly pass rush and is it is partly that big physical secondary. Can you make connections there? With is this too too simplistic and too trite? But in the same way that a lot of Belichick lieutenants have that's me. 
simplistic and trite. <laughs> I, thought you'd, I thought you'd appreciate it <laughs> on a Monday morning. The, the fact that a lot of Belichick lieutenants have tried to do the same thing, tried to, to magic up the recipe elsewhere. Uh, and do you, think, do you feel that Quinn is, is, is maybe tried, tried to do that and kind of copy that Carol? Yeah, Caldwell that? with Jacksonville, mm. um, Salah uh, in San Francisco to an extent, um, you know, comes from, from Seattle. And right. um, it's, it's really hard to recreate even Seattle's had trouble doing it yeah, sure, you know, since sure. the, since the Legion of book. Cause it was a really, it was a really good combination of, of players who fit the system perfectly. And it's hard to, to recapitulate that once you start losing those players or you try to recreate it. And to an extent, you build your system um, around the personnel you've got. And to an extent, teams have caught on to a lot of the things that Seattle likes to do with bringing down that, that strong, strong safety with, with the corners playing press, in effect, press man on the, out, on the outside. Um, uh, but everybody in the league plays that, syst- that way of defending. I've talked about this for a couple of years now, you know, where you don't, you don't have to run step for step with the receiver up the sideline. Um, what you do is you run behind him. And when he turns around and puts his hands up, you start slapping away at his arms. <laughs> um, you know, you, you paw at him basically mm-hmm. and you get away with it because they won't call it because they don't, they say you're not gaining an unfair advantage by doing that. But right. that's, that's the way most coverage is now. Um, and it's taught by most teams, um, you know, to play the eyes, to play the hands and, and not look back for the ball, um, not play the ball if, if you're in that position, especially when you're in man, not zone coverage. But the Falcons are 0-5 now yeah. with, with that defeat. That's the first time they've gone 0-5 since 97. Quinn and Dimitrov, are you surprised that they, they, they cleaned house and both went? Not totally. Um, although I always think it's harder to fire your GM than right. it is to fire your your coach, um, depending on what you've got lined up. Because presumably the guys in the front office aren't in conflict with your GM philosophy wise. So so you're kind of you know you're kind of in the same position. But what what this means is they start over next year with a new style of play, depending on who's made GM. You know, and and therefore a rebuild of a team. You know, I I would not even think it's outside the realm of possibility that you know that Matt Ryan would be on his last. I was going to ask you. Yeah, he's thirty five yeah, I mean, now. It depends yeah. on on. I I suspect they'll go for a an offensive minded coach who might have a res, um, reputation as a quarterback whisperer, which means which means in a nightmare <laughs> scenario they they hire Adam Gaze when he gets fired by the Jets. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't wish that on anyone, even in Atlanta. <laughs> Let's talk about Dan Quinn's old side, Seattle, who improved to, to 5-0. and um, Should Mike Zimmer, first question, Mike, should Mike Zimmer have taken the chip shot field goal? Well, as that's opposed what, to trying I'm, to close I'm, the game down. That's why everyone's asking. And it's yeah, easy I, in I, hindsight. Um, well, it would have um, made it, an eight made, point made it a, t- a two-point conversion to tie yeah. the game. It yeah. wouldn't have closed the game out. Yeah. Um, I probably, I probably would have kicked the field goal. Mm. Um, but I can see why why Zimmer did it um, because the ball was at was at the six yard line, and therefore they have a longer field to come up. Um, so he so he was in effect playing to win. If Madison gets that first down, then they, they use up most of the rest of the clock. Cause it was at, right at the two minute warning um, and the game's over. So I, I think it was worth that in terms of risk and reward. Mm. I actually thought on first glance that Mad- Madison had made it, it got it. Um, but he did get driven back pretty, pretty promptly by about <laughs> seven guys. Um, so I can, I can understand why that, um, that that wasn't given. I, I I thought again this was a game where where Seattle might have caught a couple of breaks. Um, but I'm not sure that both of those uh, Kirk Cousins fumbles um, were fumbles. Um, you know where where they said they weren't incomplete mm. incomplete passes. Um, but you know it, Seattle was playing swarming um, again when the game breaks down. Russell Wilson when it's fourth 
fourth quarter, you're playing playground football, <laughs> um, you know, and, and DK Metcalf and Lockett are both very good at that. You know, Metcalf in particular has been exactly what they drafted him to be. Um, yeah, let's and talk much, about that. You know, he went down to the second round because people said, oh, he can't run pass patterns. Well, he's learned to run better pass patterns than he did in college, but he's also still what he was in college, which is amazing physical guy right. who can win win 50 50 balls who can beat people yeah. with speed who can beat them with strength so he, he is what he wants and you know well, wilson I, talked about him saying he could be one of the game's all-time great receivers and you look at that final drive right so they as you say there was less than two minutes ago one minute 57 to be precise 94 yards is how far they drove there was a fourth and uh goal where he fires it into metcalf which was the sixth uh, of the plays on that drive that went to metcalf is he one of those players, Mike Metcalf, that would elevate uh, – Wilson's a, a superb quarterback. Would Metcalf elevate an average, an indifferent quarterback as well? Is he that kind I'm of – I'm not sure because, uh, again, that still – it still isn't his strength. Um, you know, the, if you put him in a highly pattern – I mean, if you put him on, on like, San Francisco – and you just told him to run, run those crosses and drags that San Francisco run, he'd probably be awesome, you know, mm. and yards after the catch. But he, he fits that kind of, of um, breakdown game that they always wind up playing in the fourth quarter. And, and they don't play a, a sort of structured pass offense in the same sense. They, they really want to be a running team uh, and then make big plays downfield. So he's perfect for that. In some offenses, I think he might well be wasted um, or, or, possibly overlooked um, the NFL being, uh, being a funny thing, but um, put him on Minnesota and you know, you would probably Minnesota desperately needs someone to take the pressure off Adam Thielen. Um, and you know, that, that was what they had such a good pairing with, with him and Diggs because Diggs, Diggs isn't really that deep, deep threat, but he can do it and he can run the crosses. He can run the short patterns, you know, and, and Thielen isn't really that deep pattern, that deep threat, but if he's single covered, he can do it. Don't they hope Jefferson is that player though? That, that's what they're hoping. Yeah. Um, but he's, he's going to take a, a little bit of time, I think, uh, to come along and um, with cook out, mm. Minnesota's going to have a serious problem now. Um, you know, Seattle in that game too, was 0 for seven on third down. Mm. I, I'm, I'm, keeping track of this over the season just to third down doesn't really tell you much. <laughs> I mean, it can tell you some things in retrospect uh, and they were two for two on fourth down, which makes them two for nine on conversions. Okay. Um, and only being in third down seven times is good in a, in a sense, but you know, right. Minnesota had 40 minutes, almost 40 minutes of possession in that game. So it was almost two to one. Well, that was, I mean, the getting the ground game going and he met, you know, he mentioned Davin Cook going out, but they, they still kept it going with, with Mattson coming in. And that was against a Hawks run D that has been pretty stingy. for most. Yeah. Of and, and you know, in the fourth quarter, I thought Seattle was gassed, um, you know, because um, Boone even had a, a couple of runs, right? Um, you know, in in that last drive that Madison did, which is even crazier that you think that they couldn't convert short on third or fourth down, you know, inside the in the red area. Um, and you know, may, maybe it's play calling. Maybe you have to try something different. But you know, I, I just have the feeling that no, they didn't want to put the the ball in Kirk's hands. Um, in that situation and what receiver were they going to go to apart from Thielen, you know, unless they could get Rudolph wide open somehow, you know, mm -hmm. which is probably what I would have tried <laughs> to be honest, play action, tight end blocking down and then releasing out. But um, it, it was going to be tough. I, I thought Minnesota were really hard done by in that well, game. Well, right. They it's were. a shame they couldn't pull it out. What of four now, Mike? Yeah, so they're essentially done, right? Or are they? Or do they? Would they look at that performance and, you know, without overemphasizing it, no one else has run on Seattle the way that. Well, I mean, if you told me that Minnesota, even like they are, and I wasn't predicting Minnesota to be, you know, this is Green Bay's division, um, but Minnesota's one and four, and the Bears are four and one, mm -hmm. and the Bears are kind of what <laughs> defensively Minnesota usually is. In other words, you know, they're a really good defensive team and, and they can probably, you know, they can probably get to the playoffs with um, this, uh, as I wrote on Friday, you know, this, this kind of Kyle Orton, Rex Grossman style quarterbacking. Yeah. 
because I'm not convinced that, that they're actually better than that, you know, um, at, at quarterback. Yeah. So I think Minnesota is pretty much out of the running um, un- unless, as you said, Jefferson steps up um, now that they're going to – Madison's going to be the number one running back. I don't, I don't think Madison's the receiver Cook is. Um, and uh, I, I think they're going to have they're going to have more problems going along. And and Seattle they've they've been lucky to be five and zero, oh, a couple of lucky lucky wins. But that's how you get there, you know. You, yeah, you that's, it. The, that's it. You have to have the run the run of the green go your way. So, uh, well, let's talk Raiders next. Raiders, then. yes. First winner. I couldn't believe ahead. I was rooting for the Raiders <laughs> since 2012. <laughs> Derek Carr said, "Mike, it's about time." <laughs> Uh, I've had a lot of painful memories in this place. I wonder what your memories of Arrowhead have been, Mike. Yeah, the well, the, the interesting graphic they put up was was the the Chiefs are twenty eight and three <laughs> against the rest of their division. Everybody always whines about the Patriots and their division. <laughs> right, I mean, that's that's pretty impressive since Mahomes, you know, Mahomes was there. Um, he gets a and, lot of stick, John Gruden. I think he he, he played this game well, like he, you know, balanced. We've got Booker running with Jacobs and car taking shots and two big drives as well and we saw this with the the patriots and and belichick's mo against them with just a lot of clock eating drives the first drive 11 plays six minutes they had that big one in the third as well which was eight minutes the jacobs touchdown drive i think gruden called a good game here um, I, I think uh, Paul Gunther called a good game <laughs> fair, fair <cool. You> know. <laughs> on defense more than, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's the kind of game he wants to play. He wants to be a running team, a run first team and taking the shots. And they ran the ball um, over 30 times. Mm. Um, I think the two tailbacks had 30 between them. Um, and so that, that was, you know, that was part of the, re- the part of this recipe for success. Um, and he, I agree. They watched what the Patriots had done and the chiefs have, you know, I hesitate to say this because I harp on this quite a bit, but last year I thought they had, again, like Seattle this year, they had a couple of really good breaks in each of their big wins at the end of the season against the Patriots. And then in the super bowl, um, you know, which is not to take away from the amazing comeback against Houston um, or, for the fact that they won those, those two games in the end. But they didn't look that good against the Patriots uh, last week. And I'm sure Raiders looked at that and said, look, this is a team that if we do things right, we can beat. And they kept the ball on the ground. Ruggs stepped up, um, another rookie receiver. Um, Somewhere in football heaven, Al Davis is watching that performance. With yeah, his, exactly. His I mean, mouth okay, you go long. <laughs> and it was like, um, I, whoever was doing the, the commentary said, you know, he was past the defensive back before the defensive back had even turned. You know, he hadn't even got out of a shift, switched his hips. So, you know, so that, so that was. Yeah, the, how does your theory about defending work against Henry Ruggs III, Mike? Yeah, you better give him some space. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, what about Trayvon and, and so, Mullins, Mike? I mean, because this was the key. It's all very well saying we know how to beat the, the, the Chiefs or a, a recipe to beat the Chiefs is, yeah, establish the ground game, dominate possession, and make sure you've got a lot of speed uh, in your backfield, in your secondary to, to match up with them. But again, the latter point is is fundamentally predicated on having that personnel. Trayvon Mullins was superb. He, is he one of those players now that is emerging as yeah. one of the best corners in the league, do you think? Yeah, and I think what Las Vegas did really well was to penetrate from the outside in and for the most part keep Mahomes in the pocket. Mm-hmm. He had a couple of you know instances, including the touchdown run, where, where he didn't. But, but you saw them do a really good job of, of controlling him you know, while he was running and not give him easy, easy throws or easy alleys to um, a vision when he was running. And at the same time, they, they played kind of inside out from the linebackers so that uh, Kwiatkowski, you know, was, was able to, to defend a bit and they kept most of it in front of them. Now they were lucky, obviously that, um, they had a touchdown call back on, on what was probably the yeah, best throw I saw throw. all yeah. weekend yeah, um, yeah. from Mahomes um, to Hill, best throw and catch. 
but Osemele is the one guy who, who the referees apparently are allowed to call holding <laughs> on, on the Chiefs, sure. <laughs> while everybody else is, to, while Eric Fisher is like bulldog headlocking guys um, along the line of scrimmage. Osemele. Well, everyone in the league, right? So we're going to call any holding. <laughs> it's what yeah, I mean, it's funny because, again, we had this anomaly between a couple of games with a lot of flags, a couple of games with imbalanced ones. Um, and a couple of games with hardly any flags, you know. Um, and there was, I saw an interesting pregame with Mike Pereira basically saying, yeah, we're not calling anything, but I like that game because its offenses are, are rolling, you know, and <laughs> what everyone wants to see touchdowns. And I'm thinking to myself, well, if you do that, then why don't we just go to the arena league rules, you know, where, <laughs> where you can only play, you can only line up directly on the linemen. You can't blitz anybody and you can't stunt or, or twist anybody. You just have to play straight up one-on-one -on -one pass rush, you know, or, or have everybody count to three Mississippi like we did in <laughs> football. You know, if, if that's what you want, you know, why? And then they call these ticky-tack um, – Fred Warner had one, you know, ticky tack roughing the passer call. Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, the top of his helmet might have grazed his glanced it, chin yeah. strap, you know, and something like that. And and I hate inconsistency. Yeah, I was going to say, Kel Surprise, we're talking about officials being inconsistent, but on the on the roughing the passer as well. Like did, when it's so clear and demonstrable that players, are, 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 there's nothing vindictive, there's nothing intentional, there's not any suggestion. They, they're moving their body to avoid it, and that's still given as well. That drives yeah. me. That well, drives yeah, that was the one in the the Patriots game where they called it on um, Mahomes, where the guy is is. I thought he's going to get called for a forward horse collar. <laughs> Because <laughs> he, he literally had Mahomes yeah. like around the neck from the front and trying to pull him forward back yeah. to him to keep him up on his feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Mahomes <laughs> was going down. You know, he was he knew what was going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> but, on anyway, Monday, Mike, that's, but I mean, I thought the Raiders were you know were really brilliant. There was a moment in the game where I think it might have been the interception that Carr threw, where you could see Gray, Gruden kind of going, David Carr, you know, underneath yeah. his mask. Derek Carr. Well, you might have been saying David Carr as well, but. <laughs> oh, Dan, yeah, Derek Carr. Um, but the, um, I thought the Carr's pass to Renfro was probably the play of the game. Mm. Um, apart from the one that was called back, the the Mahomes to the Mahomes one, the Hill, um, you know, because I I just thought he 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 showed patience, he avoided the um avoided the rush, and he still got the ball in to to Renfrew, who wouldn't have been open had he not been able to do that. That and, and Ingold knocking Breland's hat off. <laughs> <laughs> um, they threw him that little swing pass, and Ingold had to get a first down, and and uh, Breland had him, and he put his head. Down. And knocked Breland's helmet off, and wasn't called obviously because he's the, the the runner. But you know, Breland had that good interception. He was all over. Yeah, was a tough our friend. We we chatted. Yeah. We we chatted to Breland uh, opening night, if I remember rightly. Only yeah. uh, the producer was with me on that one. Yeah, um, it was a good chat as well. He's a smart cookie. Uh, Nine point seven. He's a little less smart today than he was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By tomorrow, he'll be back back to normal. Uh, 9.7 yards was the average depth of target for, for Carr. That's the highest he's posted under Gruden. So uh, a lot yeah, of positives. And, that's, and you know, that probably irritates him because everybody says he can't throw deep and he, yep. he, can't, he can't throw long. And, it, you know, the ability to connect deep is not necessarily the ability to throw 50 yards, as we saw with rugs. It's, you know, it's to see where the throw is and mm. get the ball there. Um, so the receiver can take advantage of it. Great point. Uh, great you don't point. have to have a Mahomes arm, a to, arm yeah. to be um, effective. I mean, you won't be as great, but but you can still be effective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good point. Uh, the other thing, it's interesting you talk about Gruden and how he was behaving and what he was saying, uh, or we, at least we think he was saying on the sidelines. There were times, at least a couple of times when he's with Carr, and he just, he's, he, Mike, he's reminding me more and more of Tony D'Amato. I really, he really, I think he's, I think he's, I don't know if he's modeling himself. That. I mean, it would be quite a, a textbook Gruden retro throwback as well, but there were times <laughs> when he was talking to it, he looked like it was Pacino talking to Jamie Foxx at any given Sunday. It's really reminded me of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think Gruden is, is running that reputation, you know, of, of, of quarterback whisperer and offensive guru and all that, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And, and sometimes I think it actually gets in the way of, cre of um, effective coaching. Um, I, I think he's probably, 
Cars probably on a relatively short leash in some ways. Has been from the start. I know, and and it's funny because they're committed to him, and you mm. know, and and probably the the negativity um, is is counterproductive in some ways. He reminds me a little bit of Kirk Cousins in Washington. Mm. Um, in that, no matter how well he plays, he never seems to get the credit, and whenever they lose, he gets the blame. <laughs> yeah, that's a great show. I like him better than Cousins, though, but, but that's another story. Uh, all right, speaking of other stories, let's move on. Uh, we've got to take the Browns seriously, surely, don't Oh, we? yes, indeed. I had, like I said, I had them to win that game. They were, I don't know what the final line was, but at the point I, the point I looked at it, it was they were getting a point and a half. I think it was um, one. I think it ended one, landed on one. Yeah, yeah they were still dog home dogs, though, which I thought was mm. strange because good as – as Indy's defense is like we talked about at the top of the show. Uh, no, we didn't because that was when I was talking to Holly <laughs> beforehand. <laughs> but Rivers has his limitations. You, especially now, you you don't have to really game plan for Rivers. And the Colts are short are short manned on offense without Marlon Mack. Um, they're, and they're still trying to find a a way of putting those receivers together. Uh, and I thought the Browns. Um, their defense was primarily based on pass rush, which is not a bad thing with Rivers since he's not particularly the most mobile guy. Um, although he still, you know, can make some time for himself in the pocket. But, you know, right now, Taylor's not a Marlon Mack kind of back. Um, who's his second receiver after, um, after T.Y. Hilton? Who doesn't really seem to be his first receiver either? Um, What's the big question? You know, Marcus Johnson depth. is his second receiver. No strength in the uh, tight end either. And uh, it's worth pointing out though that Costanzo was out, which a lot of people keyed in on as an issue. And Miles yeah. Garrett definitely. Well, with Garrett, that that was yeah. why one of the reasons why they were keying on on pass rush as their as their attacking. Um, way they uh, indy play really good defense you know and that that score i took the under on that game as i said it was a it turned out being a 55 point game but seven of those points are ronnie harrison's uh pick six which rivers never should have thrown um unless he had an arm transplant during the week and got patrick mahomes's arm um and uh, and seven more was isaiah rogers kickoff return which was a thing of beauty. And uh, somebody was saying, you know, is, I'm glad we're legislating kickoff returns out of the game because I really hate watching 101-yard kickoff returns. <laughs> They're so uninteresting as, as, as plays, you know. Um, <laughs> so how seriously are you taking Cleveland, Mike? Um, pretty seriously. Uh, I, I would like, I would take them very seriously if, if, if uh, Nick Chug was still playing. Um, they, I said somewhere else last week, I'm still not sold on Baker Mayfield. I think Mayfield has to be handled very carefully and he can make plays within a certain framework, but not within another. So if you can contain Baker Mayfield in the pocket, you have a better chance against them. You know, and even as it was, Landry and um, Odell had nine catches, but were targeted 18 times. And Hooper had five catches and was targeted 10 times. Right. So the three leading receivers were basically 50% um, with, with, ba- with Baker. And that could be a problem going on. Now, the fact that they can run the ball and their offensive line is solid enough, their tackles um, you know, can keep Mayfield alive, and the inside three is really good. Um, that's going to help them a lot because they had 35 minutes of possession against what is a pretty good defense, um, you know, and was actually statistically was the number one defense in the league. Um, so that, you know, if you have 35 minutes of possession and you only get two penalties and, you know, you can go at 10, better than 50% on third down, you ought to be able to win a lot of games. And they'll do that. Now, they're in a tough division. That's their biggest problem. And it was yeah. at the start of the year when people were pumping the Browns. You know, the um, both Baltimore and Pittsburgh looked okay. Um you know, Baltimore had an easy time with Cincinnati. And uh, I think Pittsburgh had a harder time with the Eagles than they probably should have. But the Eagles, the Eagles have a, their strength in, is pass rush. And um, the Eagles' problem is their number one receiver right now is Travis Fulgham, and I liked Travis Fulgham. I remember popping him, you know, when, when he came out uh, for for the draft. But but he's no one's number one receiver. He's a complimentary kind of guy, and he played really well. And Wentz found him really well. But they're not going to get far, you know, with that kind of receiving core. 
That is a good pop, Mike, because he was a sixth rounder from uh, for Detroit. Uh, for Detroit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, deep dive it as ever, Carson. And it's is he going to be one of those players that everybody picks up on their fancy waiver wire? <laughs> Never. Right, well, it's it. it's worth it. It's worth a shot because <laughs> it's either him or Greg Ward. Uh, fair. 10 of 13 he caught for 152 yards and a touchdown which on most days would have made him the star receiver in the game but this wasn't most days of course Clace uh, Chase Claypool uh, had an extraordinary performance four touchdowns uh, for the Steelers against the Eagles uh, another wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers in an organization that just seems to churn out uh, <laughs> elite receivers like they're going out of fashion. So uh, Claypool, the latest name to add to that quite illustrious list over the last 10 or so years. Yeah. And you know, that, that was big for them that he did step up because Deontay Johnson got hurt. Um, I don't know what the prognosis, long-term prognosis is for him, but they will need him. And, but he's a different kind of receiver. Claypool physically looks a lot like a Mohammed Sanu. Right. But I think he's got better speed. Um, and, you know, they, they used him in a, in a couple of different ways, uh, and he delivered each time. He now goes into the discussion of who's the greatest Canadian football player ever in the NFL. Um, <laughs> Automatically. So depending on whether you count Bronco Nagurski, who was born in Canada, but well, usually isn't um, counted as a Canadian. Previously, it was either Dr. Duvernay-Tardif. <laughs> <laughs> from the Chiefs or right. Nate Burleson. Of course, Nate Burleson, yeah. Who's, who's Canadian or a kicker. You know, you had, you had John Ryan, the punter, or Mike Vanderjack, you know, the, um, the place kicker who, who were Canadians. Um, and there was the guy from McGill, my university, um, who was a long snapper, um, um, La Ducier, I can try to think. It was JP or LP or something yeah. like Laurent Pierre or something like that. But you know, yeah, <laughs> there there weren't that many Canadian-born guys who've who've had those kind of um, those kind of careers. So Claypool could become um, a living legend north of the border. And uh, <laughs> you know, you don't have many guys who get four touchdowns in a game as a rookie. Uh, they were going through law, list after list, you know, of the the rookies who've done it, the rookies who've done it since the Super Bowl, the rookie wide receivers who've done it. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Um, but it was a great it was a great performance which they needed to beat philadelphia yeah they did it was as you alluded to earlier mike uh, it was tougher than it maybe it should have been on, on paper on you mentioned rugs earlier on uh cd lamb jefferson didn't step up yesterday but has had some impressive starts t higgins as well a lot of rookie wide receivers when this is a position that historically it's difficult to make an immediate impact in, in the NFL. yeah and you know i think that's changing a bit and the reason Why? it's changing is that pass routes routes are changing because the offenses are going more toward that college spread thing. Right. And you have more you have more man-to-man matchups for the receiver to win. When you go back to the origins of, of those spread offenses, they were developed in colleges that were generally outmanned by their opposition. You know, um, lesser powers within major conferences, smaller colleges playing bigger ones, because it gave them a chance to get one or two playmakers and get them the ball, you know, and, and, and spread things out and, and lessen the advantage the bigger teams had. And as those come in to the NFL more and more, receivers have less kind of reading of defense to do. Um, the hardest part for a college receiver coming into the NFL is reading defenses where you have routes that you run one way against man and another way against zone. The second hardest thing is that you don't have many really bad defensive backs that you're running against because every team's got usually, you know, guys who were top quality college players. Even um, the Jets. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Um, but, you know, we had six wide receivers in the first round. Um, I think it was 13 in the um, first two rounds. The 13th was Denzel Mims going to the Jets, <laughs> who, of course, hasn't made any impact. Um, there's been a couple who've been hurt. But, you know, you mentioned some of the names. Ruggs has stepped up this week. Lamb, obviously, is playing like, you know, like a number one guy. In fact, Amari Cooper is, the, is kind of their number three guy now um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. behind him in Gallup. Gallup, yeah. Um, T. Higgins knocking on the door as well. Cooper could be four in the uh, in the power rank. Yeah, uh, Claypool obviously. Um, you know, um, Chenault had had yeah six or seven catches for um, 
you know, there's a couple of guys who've been hurt. Um, Ayuk looks good for San Francisco. He looks like a really good fit for that offense. And, and then you've even got guys further down. Gabriel Davis for Buffalo um, has played really well, and he was, I think, a fourth-round pick. And Duvernay in Baltimore, um, who does, does a lot of things for them. And my favorite guy, actually, I think he was a fifth-round, Quinton Cephas, simply because of his name. <laughs> you know, did you Cephas what he did last week? <laughs> Sub-editors around the States. It yeah, it's kind of like... Uh, exist anymore. I don't know if it does. It's kind of like Darius, what's his name, in Indianapolis, whenever he makes a play. You, know, you cannot be Darius. <laughs> <laughs> um, the one other thing I just to mention, I because I mentioned Baltimore it just reminded me an, inter an interesting anomaly for the Ravens was that they, they had five different defensive backs get sacks against Cincinnati. Wow. Which I, again, this is one of those where someone with a bigger computer than I have needs to go back and see if that's the first time that that's ever happened in the NFL. Well, let's find out to our listeners at the NC show. Uh, and Mike is uh, calling you to action there. See if, uh, see if you can <laughs> find that out for us. And we'll uh, talk about it on the show later on this week. Yeah. And I, you know, and I wish I had one of those big mainframe computers that the NFL has, which they're using now to figure out the schedule. <laughs> yes. <laughs> for the and, rest, a, and a postgrad degree from MIT as well to boot. So let's try and work it out. So let's start with the easy stuff. Uh, the Broncos-Patriots game moved. To Tuesday. Se yeah. Seven other games have been affected uh, so far. So this is where it gets interesting. The Chiefs at Bills week six game moves from Thursday, October the 15th to Monday, October the 19th, right? So yeah. The, basically, yeah, and now that's a huge, that's a huge one for the Chiefs. That, you know, rather than having to travel to Buffalo – on a short week, they now travel to Buffalo on a long week. Mm. And that's going to make a whole of all the games that have been switched. I think that's the one that, that, you know, shows the most effect, but, but in reality, you know, this, this is only temporary. Um, we're basically playing whack-a-mole here mm. and we, we have no idea of which, you know, which teams are going to register more infections and register, you know, more, more days out of practice and, and player losses. Um, it, it's really, we're, we're incapable of predicting this. The league's incapable of predicting this. And I know, I know they're, you know, they're, what they're doing is trying desperately to keep the season going. Keep the trade on the tracks. What's more likely, do you think, an extension to the season or a, a complete break from the season? Well, currently they're talking, they have a week in reserve. They've sort of made plans to um, use week 18 to play games that need to be made up. And, and they obviously wouldn't play games that wouldn't affect the schedules. And, and I've heard talk that, you know, if they did affect the schedules and were unable to make a balanced uh, schedule, they would simply go on winning percentage. Um, and, and, you know, and, and anomalies like the Chiefs getting a break on, on the Monday night, going from Thursday to Monday night, that you just have to live with that. You know, if you, mm -hmm. if you miss a game against the Jets and you, and you then wind up having to play a game against the Steelers or whatever, you just have to live with that, which is, which is fair enough given the situation. It's, it's a situation I wouldn't want to be in, you know, um, because there's, there's no good way of handling it. So Mike, why was it in the playoffs? A, if we get that far and B, uh, if, we have a game and on the Thursday before the Saturday game, Mahomes goes down with COVID. A superstar goes down with COVID. Is it just, well, then the breaks and the Chiefs yeah, have to deal with it? I, I think that's going to have to be the first, the first thing is that, is that those are the breaks. Um, it's when, unless a large enough number go down, um, are infected so that the team couldn't play or, or couldn't safely play or, or you were in danger of, um, you know, spreading the infection or something like that. You'd have to play. I, I suspect once you reach that situation, you're in a forfeit situation. Yeah. Where if the team can't play, can't produce enough players um, to play or have, you know, such a, if the infection say is spread to the coaches and ancillary staff and stuff like that, you'd be like what people are talking about with Tennessee right mm -hmm. now um just forfeiting the game um which is which is tough in most cases although in the tennessee case they're pointing to this private workout that the players had which is which apparently is where the infection was spread um, it, and yeah. since they broke the lockdown rules or, or the whatever the whatever you want to call the rules then a forfeit could be appropriate but yeah, once you reach the playoff i think it just has to be mm. it just has to be what it is um and, you know, hopefully we get that far. But, mm. you know, you're starting to hear more and more players talking about 
not taking protection seriously enough that the league and the players association both are yeah. not taking protection seriously enough. And I think we're probably going to have a revamping of the, the scheduling. Cause as we've seen in, in the U S even in the presidential thing, you know, next day testing doesn't really tell you much when you've got an incubation period of, you know, two to five days before right. you test positive. Right. Um, and, you know, and then, who knows how much longer afterwards. Right. Mike, Mike, we're out of time. Brilliant stuff as ever. Before we go, uh, your Patreon column, you mentioned early stuff you've been writing about. Where can our listeners go to check Yeah, out? it's um, www.patreon.com, FMTE, Mike, uh, FMTE, no, Mike Carlson, Mike Carlson FMTE. FMTE. <laughs> I ought to know that. It's yeah, my that. column. It's, <laughs> it's www.patreon.com uh, forward slash Mike Carlson FMTE. I've also got some stuff up on Medium, uh, not much of which is football, but some of it's pretty interesting anyway. Oh, we'll check that out. We'll try and uh, dig some, send us some links and we'll push that out on our social channels as Thank well. Thank you. I appreciate that. Lovely stuff. I and Mike, uh, catch up with you soon, bud. Okay. See you later. Lovely stuff from Iron Mike. Uh, we will be checking in with him very, very soon. And we'll be checking back in with you very, very soon as well. Keep your eyes and ears peeled for bonus pods. We're going to be dropping a few of those over the next couple of weeks. And we'll be getting set for week six with Ben Isaacs. He is in the house Thursday. That's when the pod drops. We will see you then. Bye for now, gang. Podcast Network.